Well, greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 38 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement in life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Before we jump into today's interview with, with Gail Johnson, we have the honor and privilege to have our friend Dick Foth back um, to spend some time on Back Channel with Foth is Dick um, answers questions that listeners send in. Dick, it's so great to be with you again today. Thank you, Aaron. Always a joy. Dick, um, one of the questions that was sent in today, uh, well, sent in and that we're going to look at today was, what is grit and how do we develop more of it when words like rhythms, margin, Sabbath, comfort are given so much priority in these days? So how are we balancing grit with, with those other things? You know, if you were to look at synonyms for grit, uh, grit's a, sort of a, a word that's in fashion today. It would have facets of determination, uh, resilience, uh, stick to is, is the word my parents would have used. Uh, sort of when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yeah. I think one of the passages that has come home during these days, and this is not directly related to the question perhaps, but Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul is talking about himself. And he says, we are hard pressed on all sides, but not crushed, hmm. perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Um, this idea of um, being so focused on the mission or being so focused on what is right or right to do uh, carries people i um i think i think the call to lead parker palmer global educator wrote about uh this a little bit and the call to lead he says requires grit and grace as well as determination uh, when studies have been done on the subject of how much can we stand or handle or press through you know, you, you run as hard as you can, you do whatever you can. And they found that when somebody says, that's it, I can't do anymore. They found that's about 40% of what they, which makes me crazy. I have no idea. <laughs> so, so, um, one, one of the things that really, um, struck me some years ago, I went to speak in an assembly's church. I went to speak at an assembly's church in, um, in New York state and uh, the father, I don't know all the relationship, but, but the father was a Hungarian Jew, the father of the pastor. And he had been in Budapest when the Nazis took him 44, 19 years old, I think, taken to a camp. And this is what he said when I asked him, um, the, he told me that he had escaped two or three times from the camps, they always captured him. He said, but when I walked in, I made a decision that if one man was going to survive this, it was going to be me, mm. whatever I had to do to do that. So I would say that's grit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And once again, a, uh, you're a phenomenal storyteller and great illustrations. And um, Dick, the second question along the similar lines is, um, 
a listener wrote in and said, is there a theology of margins and rhythm or are those simply phrases and ideas we are using to swing the pendulum back to the middle? So it's kind of along the same themes, but is there really a theology of margins and rhythm or is that something we, we, we've kind of put in place to help us bring balance to our life? You know, I think it's, I think the question is fascinating. I've never heard that question before. Um, I think there probably is a theology, but I think it's embedded. I used to have a seminary professor who said, do not get your theology from the narratives or from a songbook. Um, I probably buy the songbook part, but I don't buy the narrative part because um, Marshall McLuhan years ago, a Canadian fellow, I think 1961, wrote an article entitled, The Medium is the Message. Hmm. That is how you do what you do is the message. When I read scripture, I don't get the sense that um, God is tired. I don't mm -hmm. get the sense that he's fatigued or anxious or any of that. And you say, well, of course not. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> but, they, but, I, but I think sometimes, I think sometimes we put um, mission or determination or grit over against um, the capacity for staying whole. Hmm. The, there's, a, there's a reason it says on an airplane when, when they make the safety announcements, if we lose air pressure, be sure to put the mask on yourself before you put it on your child. Yeah. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right at first, unless you realize that if you pass out, your, your kid doesn't have a chance. Yeah. So I would say this about um, a theology of rhythms or margins. First of all, uh, it margins, rhythms are not oppositional to mission. Hmm. My question would be, where does mission begin? Hmm. My parents grew up and their people before them grew up in a time when the, the mission was um, stronger than or more important than, say, the marriage. We put it that way, or or the calling more important than family. I think in my experience over the last fifty years, I have come to the conclusion because I get sometimes when we bring younger people in ministry to hang out for a bit, almost always their question would be, "How do you handle the tension between marriage and ministry?" That's one of the earliest questions, yeah. and I say those things are not oppositional, it, it, and. It, uh, marriage or friendship or the team, whatever, is the closest line of defense when it comes to keeping away from burnout. Uh, one of the one of the more tragic stories of Africa is the story of David Livingston. Yeah. He's a hero to us, but his boy went home, lived with, grew up with aunts and his mother in Scotland. Came back to find his father. I think was in Mozambique, and his father had gone upriver. And he missed him. And the boy, discouraged, uh, to my understanding, went to America, joined a regiment during the Civil War in New Hampshire. And his boy is buried, I think, in a mass grave somewhere in North Carolina. Hmm. And so you have this juxtaposition of a, quote, hero of the faith, but a son who's buried in a mass grave in North Carolina. Hmm. And... Um, I think we have come to the place where we understand 
that the team or the family is our first mission. And then the larger mission is beyond that. So when we talk about a theology of rhythm, I would say, yes, you need Sabbath. There's a reason that there's one seventh of our time is to rest. I think historically, biblically, it was to rest the slaves, to rest the workers so you couldn't beat them into the ground, right? But Jesus took time away to pray, to fast away from the demands. I think the other thing I would say about that is that we, we often talk about each person being unique, created in God's image, but that means a person has unique capacities. And we've understood today, and I'll hurry with this, uh, we've, we've, we've understood today more that rest, you know, uh, food, exercise, sleep, well, that sleep is a huge piece. I do about seven hours. Hmm. Ruth needs about nine. We're two different we built in different ways. The other piece I would say is this, if we forget how to play, we are dead in the water. Hmm. One of my favorite pictures, and it's not a biblical picture, it's from somebody's mind, is Jesus sitting on a log by the Sea of Galilee with two or three kids on the log and they're skipping rocks on the lake. Hmm. There's some, uh, Madame Guion or Teresa of Avila, I think said, uh, the kingdom was comprised of people who pray together and play together. So I think all of those pieces come come into come into play, no pun intended, when we think about rhythms and margins. Well, I'm never disappointed, Dick, with the uh, the responses and the the wisdom that you shared today. And so we're looking forward to the next time um, having you back on the podcast. We're going to go ahead and jump into the interview with Gail Johnson on the growth capacity of self-leadership, exemplifying growth and leadership characteristics. Gail has her doctorate in ministry, is a life coach and the pastor of spiritual formation and women in Faith Tri-Cities. We discuss self-care, why it's not selfish to care for oneself, a burnout and common mistakes we make in caring for ourselves. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings. It's great to be back again today on the Clarity Podcast. I'm here with a new friend, um, Gail Johnson, and I'm so excited to learn from her, her wisdom, her experience, her insight, and her story. Gail, would you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and um, just share some share about yourself um, before we jump into our conversation? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a pastor. I'm on staff at a church um, in spirit, uh, pastor spiritual formation, and um, <laughs> I have I have a wonderful family. My, my husband's. We've been her, we've been in ministry for over 40 years now, which is hard to believe. I'm a mom, a grandma. I just recently received my doctorate in leadership. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's a lot. That's a lot of undertaking. Uh, doctor and Leisha <laughs> and a book. Um, those are uh, challenges um, for sure. For sure. So what made you, this is going a little bit off script, but what, what is, what made you decide to get a doctorate in leadership? Oh, that's a good question. Well, um, I was invited to do so. And my, you know, your first response is it was never on my radar. Like yeah. it just never crossed my mind that this is what I wanted to do. And so I, I said, I'll pray about it. I'll think about it. And then I realized, you know, I love writing. Yeah. I love research. This is, I read books. It's just like, if anybody should get a doctorate, it should be, because I'm doing it anyway. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Without getting a degree. So it's like, 
this just fits kind of what God has been doing, how he's created me. Yeah. And it's like, gosh, I could do all of this and get a, get a degree. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. I love to learn too. And um, I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. And I'll look forward to reading your book when it comes out. And so uh, appreciate you. Well, today we're going to be talking um, uh, about a conversation normally that workers, overseas workers um, kind of dance around a little bit. And um, it sometimes makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I'm so excited to learn from you and um, your wisdom and insight and your story. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about um, burnout. And so I would just like to know, how do you define burnout? Because everyone, there's several definitions. And is that something that you've experienced um, in your life? Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, um, as, as ministry leaders, we, we are really susceptible to that because oftentimes we think that our business, busyness honors God and the more productive we are, the you know, more important we are. And um, what I, I typically don't refer it to as burnout. I see it more as disintegration, hmm. where our lives are scattered in a thousand directions. We, we wear many hats. We're busy people. Um, there's just all sorts of things that tug at our lives. And without us even recognize it, disintegration starts to happen in our lives. And unless we have really good self-awareness, we don't recognize it until it's too late. Mm, and then it becomes explosive or even um, just a subtle tearing away. But it not only affects us, it affects those we serve in really yeah. um, dramatic ways. Yeah. That's, that's, and so has that been so you've, ex, you've experienced that yourself? It yeah. is. In fact, it, um, it, again, it was kind of this subtle thing, but um, when I came to the Lord when I was 16 years old, the, the immediate message that I got was there's certain do's and don'ts. And the Christian life started revolving around all of the do's, all of the things that I should do. And it seemed like the weight of the spiritual life rested on my shoulders. So if I was going to be spiritually successful, if I was going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, it meant that there was a lot of activity, <laughs> that, mm. that it was up to me. And so um, my life started revolving around, um, you know, spiritual strategies for success, wow. you know, um, techniques to find, you know, to master. And, and so it really revolved around, um, you know, me performing. Hmm. And if I wasn't measuring up, I always heard this voice that said, you know, you're not enough. Hmm. And whenever I sense that, that I wasn't, you know, carrying my load, I'd, I'd hear this voice that would say, you just need to try harder. Wow. And that was always the solution to me not measuring up in the spiritual hmm. life. That if there was hmm. something wrong with my relationship or something, then obviously I wasn't working hard enough. Wow. And um, I think a lot of us, you don't have to be a ministry leader to experience that. It's just kind of this, this undergirding understanding as, as Christians. And that is that it's up to us to achieve the spiritual life. Yeah. Um, but what I discovered was there comes a point when for me, um, but I think it's true for all of us is that we can do all the right things and say all the right things and we can work hard for God and we can do it without any interaction with Jesus at all. Wow. Hmm. You know, we can, we can live on mission. Hmm. and not experience Jesus in a very real life-giving way. And that was my story. That some, and I was after, I was in ministry for 30 years. All of a sudden, I, I 
my, my it's, it's really a soulish thing is that our yeah. souls, I realized that my soul, part of me that connects with Jesus had been left behind in the flurry wow. of activity of ministry. Hmm. And that's when I decided, you know, some, it was a, a wake up call. It's a red flag. Yeah. And um, I just said to myself one time, um, I said, you know, if I don't encounter Jesus in a real way, I'm going to die. Hmm. And that was, that was a soulish kind of dying, hmm. you know, that something inside me that longs for God had been disconnected in the flurry of ministry. And it was really hard to admit after all those years, but there was, I got caught so caught up in, in working for God that I had left God behind. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I think, you know, we, I was interviewing and talking with Dick Foth um, uh, a few weeks ago, and he mentioned the, the, the unique aspect of ministry part of it is when we're doing is somehow we feel like we're pleasing God. And when we don't, then it's almost like we're failing God in that sense as far as our... Yeah, so I think that is a little bit of an added weight, at least for me as an overseas worker, a leader, is it's not, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner too. And so if I don't do well in that or, you know, I don't do as well as I should, patients will be affected. Um, the people I'm caring for will be affected. But I don't necessarily think that I would assign necessarily a spiritual or I disappointed God in the process. Now, if I did something that was malicious, obviously. But this not, but in ministry, you know, it carries that weight that somehow we're we're doing for God, and it's you know he's anyway. But that I think it is an added weight in that process. So after Absolutely. going after going through that um, time of burnout, what do you wish you would have known before you? Do you know now that maybe you wish you would have known before you went went through that process? Absolutely. I number one, I wish that I had that I had known that I have a soul. And that it matters. And, um, you know, typically in, in Christian circles, we, we haven't really had a language for the soul other than lost and found, um, saved, unsaved, that mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, but, but what I realized was there is a part of me that lies deep within that oftentimes I don't recognize. But it, the soul drives everything. Mm. The soul trumps everything. So you can be gifted and called and talented and charismatic. You can all have all of these wonderful leadership qualities, but if your soul is experiencing disintegration, it trumps all of those things. And, you know, we have seen that played out in our headlines with some mm. incredible, talented, gifted pastors leading these churches. And we keep reading these things about failing you know, and, and we shake our heads and we go, what happened? Hmm. Well, because we don't have a knowledge and an awareness of our soul, hmm. um, well, we, re um, we don't realize that it trumps that, that our brokenness, all of the things, our weariness, our exhaustion, our restlessness, um, our anxiousness, our impatience. If those things are left unchecked in our lives, if we don't recognize that we're, we're living from this place of disintegration, eventually it comes out in very destructive ways. Hmm. And we may even say to ourselves, where did that come from? Well, um, it's our soul. And hmm. um, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he, he said, um, he said, your heart runs your life. Hmm. And whether you, whether you attend to it or not, it's still 
runs your life. <laughs> That's good. Right? And that just really hit me. I've never forgotten that. And so if we ignore our exhausted soul, if we ignore our anxious soul, then um, our soul is, is still guiding and shaping our lives that way. So, so if we're exhausted, the only, what, we, what happens is, is what we have to offer those we serve is exhaustion. Hmm. If we're experiencing restlessness and, you know, um, bitterness and um, unreflectiveness, then what, that's what we offer those. We don't recognize it, but we minister from who we are. Yeah, that's and, good. and that's what we have to offer those we serve. And we don't, might not even know that, but um, it does come out and it does trump everything. Hmm. So mm -hmm. I think what I wish I had known is that I have a soul yeah. And um, it really, really matters. It, yeah. Dallas Willard would say that every aspect of your life, um, the joy, the, um, again, the restlessness, the good things, it, um, all of those are part of who we are. And those are the things that come out of us. Hmm. <laughs> those, those are the most real thing about us. And, and eventually all of that comes out. The good, yeah. even the good though, the yeah. good things, if, you, if you're healthy and joyful and the fruit of the spirit is active in your life, then we also get to offer those things. Yeah. Um, but, but it's the realities of our souls that, that we offer those we serve. That's good. That's good. As you and I were dialoguing uh, via email, um, you shared, as we were talking about this interview, you shared that you had come to the idea that, that self-care is not selfish. And um, could you just unpack that a little bit for us on how you came to that and, um, you know, why someone or what are some of the reasons that someone might feel that caring for themselves, their self is selfish? And uh, yeah, well, we'll start there because this, yeah, this, it's, it's very, very interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think this is one of, been one of the most in, um, uh, misunderstood things in the Christian life and in ministry that somehow caring for your soul is self-indulgent. I was teaching a spiritual formation class at Northwest University in Seattle, and I was talking about this. And after the class, a 20-something came over. And it's, it's amazing to me that it's still prevalent, even, even in our young generation. She came up to me and she says, um, you know, I really like what you had to say today, um, but it feels so self-indulgent, you know, and, it's, and it feels so self-indulgent. And um, when Jesus, and we often, when we think about the first and the second commandment, you know, we know it's to love God and typically go love God, love others. Those are the big, yeah. and Jesus said, there's three big rocks. Hmm. There's three, love God, love others and love self. Wow. And we, over the century, well, over the years, um, in our modern, at least in our modern era, we have kind of glossed over that. And so somehow we've gotten the idea that care caring for us is selfish, but you know, I just talked about that. Whatever is real about you, <laughs> true. whatever, whatever is most yeah. real about you yeah. is, is um, the place from which you minister. Yeah. And um, so it really, it really matters and it's not selfish. And um, we know the scripture in Psalm 51 where it says, surely you desire truth hmm. in my innermost parts, hmm. you know? And, um, we enter ministry we as broken people i don't know where we got the idea that somehow once once we step into ministry we're whole yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> you know 
And that somehow by just pastoring or, yeah. or you know, being a leader, somehow everything takes care of itself. Yeah. Um, but we, we're still broken and being in ministry has not negated our tendency hmm. towards selfishness and self-protection yeah. and reactivity and avoid. Yeah. So all of those things that we're, we brought into ministry yeah. are still very much a part of us. Hmm. And unless we seek healing, unless we allow those things to surface and, and engage in self-examination, um, those things remain hidden. They still drive us. Yeah. And, and so in ministry, we may go, where did, why was I so angry? Why did that? It's because those are still, I call them the unfinished places of our soul. Hmm. There are still places of us that need healing and work and, um, and they're just unfinished places. Yeah. And, and, um, are there, are there some common unfinished places that you've, that you've seen it in, in, in people, or is it, is that unique to each person? It's, I'm, that's a good question. It's unique to each, each person. Yeah. You know, we're all wounded people hmm. and we all have different um, things that have wounded us hmm. in our life, whether it's our upbringing or even ministry wounds us. And, you know, if you get wounded in ministry, you self-protect, hmm. <laughs> you may go through rest of ministry self-protecting against, yeah. you didn't want to be hurt again. Yeah. And so you, you go into avoidance. And so, but we bring all of these um, wounds of our life into ministry. Yeah. And they, they certainly shape our ministry in that way. So yeah. that's a good question. Um, and so if, if we aren't aware of our wounds, if we aren't aware of our tendencies and our patterns of relating, and, and um, then they continue um, to shape us and form us in really profound ways. Yeah, that's, that's powerful and very insightful. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah, we can't pour out what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have if our soul is... Uh, is uh, is uh, not in a, as you said in a disintegration place. Um, then it's uh, it's yeah that's what we're going to be um, caring for other people in. Can you share some practical areas um, on how we as leaders how we can care for ourselves and um, yeah some practical ways and then we'll move we'll move on um, to some, maybe some blind spots after that. But let's so what are some practical ways that we can care for our souls um, and uh, move beyond that idea that we're being selfish in the process? Yeah, that's really good. Absolutely. Um, probably the number one thing that I would say that um, what I when I went through my time of disintegration. Um, the funny thing is I, you know, been a Christian, been in ministry all of these years and <clears throat> I, um, I didn't know what life looked like without all of my busyness, without this flurry of activity. I, I had no idea how to care for my soul because I knew my soul was speaking hmm. and it's funny I didn't recognize the line that, that it was my soul at first. I just yeah. thought, you know, I wanted to just you know, fluff my pillow and turn over, maybe it will go away. But once I recognized <clears throat> it was my soul that was speaking, I knew that I had to attend to that. Yeah. Um, the problem was I had no idea because I, I did all the right things. Hmm. I read my Bible, I prayed, and it's like those things are not working anymore for me. Now, <clears throat> let me just say this. That's not to say we shouldn't do those things. Yeah. But obviously, absolutely, those are essentials. Those are classic right. practices. But obviously, I wasn't doing my approach to them wasn't in the right way. I hmm. wasn't approaching them in a life-giving way. So, you know, like, so I need to do something um, different. So the only thing I could think of to, to attend to my soul, to that deep place, 
was to go for a walk, to go on walks. I, I knew that I needed to get away from the noise and the distractions of my day. And I just needed to be alone with God. I just needed to, to hear this. You know, I knew it was a work of grace. And I knew that this was an invitation from God. There was never any um, <clears throat> condemnation in it whatsoever. I never felt God saying, you know, you're such a disappointment to me. I, what I sensed was this was an invitation to wholeness that I desperately needed. Hmm. And so I, I really wanted to attend to that. <clears throat> so I decided... Um, for me to hear God, to listen to him, to sense his presence, which is what I so desperately needed. I just decided I would go on walks and, and get away from all the stuff. <clears throat> and um, it's really weird. I promised myself that I wouldn't pray, which, okay, let me explain that because that sounds really <laughs> weird, right? <laughs> but part of my awareness was that I had come to use prayer as a way to manipulate God. Wow. That that if I said things loud enough, long enough, eloquently, if I used all the right words, then perhaps God will. Yeah. And I recognize, like, I am so done with trying to manipulate the spiritual life. Hmm. And I really just wanted to receive hmm. this wonderful work of grace that God was doing That's in my good. life. So I would just walk with hmm. the whole intent of just keeping company with with Jesus, as Eugene yeah. Peterson says, I just wanted to be with God, with yeah. Jesus. And so I just created, what I did was I created this space for that to happen. Yeah. That, and so I would say the number one thing, um, and often it's, it's referred to as silence and solitude, but I, it's really just creating space for the work of grace to happen hmm. in your life. Hmm. And as leaders, we can't live without that. Yeah. Um, because it's it's in this sacred space that we create away from all of the stuff that and the patterns of our day and, and the noisy busyness that we're so addicted to. Um, it's in that sacred space that we really hear God's voice. Hmm. And the really cool thing was I began to distinguish as I would walk day after day after day. And I, I didn't, ex my, my expectation wasn't that God would just show up and just, you know, like, but my, I just kept walking, like, I'm not, I'm not going to control this. And be, I began to sense God's presence. And I began to distinguish his voice between all the other voices. Wow. And, you know, some people say, well, how do you know, you know, God's voice? And I, I just tell them, you know what? It takes a lot of practice. Wow. It just takes to, to begin to distinguish his voice from all the others. Hmm. And it was the place this, so I began to, practices i'd walk and then i'd come home and i have a big brown chair every morning that i continued to just try and, and meet with god and um and i'll refer to it as my big brown chair just this whole practice because that's where i meet with god every morning hmm. but um that's the place where you hear god say that you're the beloved hmm. instead of the disappointed wow. <laughs> you know yeah. it's the place where you receive peace that yeah. you so desperately need. Um, it's where you receive comfort. It's where you receive guidance. It's where you receive healing. It's in this quiet place, alone place with God that um, we can surrender our lives, where we are able to receive the life that God wants to give us instead of us trying to achieve it. Wow. Um, it's a place where your longing and yeah. your soul can be heard. It was, yeah. It's a wonderful place. So if I had to start somewhere, I would say start there. Wow. Wow. 
And so that, it's interesting, you, you know, sometimes when we think of silence and solitude, we kind of admit my, my thing. I'm thinking sitting in a corner um, by myself, um, doing nothing. And honestly, my, my wife and my kids will tell you, I get a little bit fidgety. So the idea of walking, you know, that really resonates with me because my body's moving. And, um, and honestly, I think I think better. So that's valuable to hear that it silence and solitude just doesn't have to be, you know, with your eyes closed, with your legs crossed and you know, sitting in a corner. <laughs> but I think that's the image, the image that it comes to my mind is that. And so it's really valuable to hear from your experience um, what that looked and how, how you began to distinguish God's voice. Now, did that happen all at one time, distinguishing between God voice, God's voice and the other voices? Um, yeah. Could you just maybe take a minute or a few minutes to talk about that? Because that's, that's, that's very, very important, I think, and very insightful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, as leaders, we are, we are pretty much addicted to productivity, right? <laughs> we, our, our, our calendars are full. Yeah. Um, and uh, probably the most um, leaders are most um, anxious about quiet and aloneness. Yeah. Yeah. There's that we're driven. We're, we're, and we, we, we like being driven. There was sometimes, a lot of times, our identity and our self-worth is tied to what we do. And to do nothing, as you said, feels very unproductive. It's very, it's very uncomfortable because all we want to do is get going. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, it, it, it doesn't have to look a certain way. The really great thing is there has to be, there has to be a place in time where you, you um, learn to hear God's voice, as you said. It, it happens over time. Yeah. Um, and, and you just have to do it. It's just one of those, you're uncomfortable. But the really great thing is, is even if it's uncomfortable and anxious for you, um, the point is to meet with Jesus. Yeah. And um, I think just, just showing up counts. Yeah. I good. think just being with Jesus is transformational. And even if you're fidgety, the good news is, is all that fidgety, uh, fidgety? Yeah, fidgety. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and anxiousness, it eventually goes away okay. and it really comes a space where you, you, once you encounter God's presence there, it becomes this wonderful, hmm. but it does take like you over time. Like you said, it takes yeah. practice. It takes, yeah. but um, here's the really great thing about that is once you recognize God and God's presence and his voice in the quiet place, you're able to recognize his voice and presence in the busy place. Wow. That's good. That's really it, good. You kind of become this, this portable sanctuary of God's presence. So hmm. it's, it's not just always, you know, um, in this, this quiet, it starts there where we begin yeah. to experience that. But then the great thing is all throughout our day, we're visiting, we're counseling someone, we're talking to someone, we're on, on uh, you know, our sermon or whatever. All of a sudden we, we recognize God's presence with us. And that's the whole point that Jesus came to be with us. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. For sure. And so what are some, maybe some blind spots or maybe some common mistakes maybe that leaders would make when it comes to, to caring for themselves and, uh, and finding this, this, this soul care, um, that, that you're so, um, greatly highlighting. Yeah. Um, we all have blind spots and I think I've, I think I, I keep coming back to this. I think it's in the place of quiet that God reveals those things to us. And because they're blind spots, spots we don't know that we have them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That is, that we're, is true. We're unaware that we're unaware 
Yeah. And, and so typically if we're not aware of them, again, they come out in destructive ways and we're surprised by that because we didn't know they were a blind spot. And so, um, in the place of silence and solitude, God reveals those things to us. And the really great thing is, is that it's never a voice of condemnation ever. Hmm. It's never that it's never, again, you're just, it's always an invitation to wholeness. Hmm. So when God reveals things, um, I, I, I remember the ladies retreat one time <clears throat> I, we were, I was standing in the, in the front row cause I'm leading it and my hands are raised and we're singing this really great song and, um, savior, he can move the mountains. That's my right. God is mighty to save, mighty to save. You recognize that. Um, and I'm just thinking of all the mountains in my life, like, hmm. Oh yes, God, please move this mountain and this mountain. And all of a sudden I, I heard God's voice in this public, loud place. I heard his voice speak and he said, Gail. And he always addresses me by name, always. Mm. He says, Gail, you are that mountain. Wow. And so I really, my soul needed a mighty savior. (laughs) But it wasn't, it was never this sense, I guess because I had come to recognize his presence as a place of belovedness. Is I went, yes, I do, I do. And I was like, let's do this, God. There's still so much in me that I don't even know is there. And I really want to be well. Yeah. I really want to be an integrated whole person. That's Hmm. always been my my prayer. Hmm. And so God was answering that. And it was an invitation. So it's like, yes, Yes. (laughs) let's let show me the blind spots. And I want to. I want to partner with you in my wholeness. Yeah. And that's where spiritual practices come in is where we partner. He reveals these things in our lives yeah. and we partner in a spiritual practice um, with him. So to bring wholeness, it's not just, well, God just zap me just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's always a participation thing. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. We want things to happen quickly, and uh, you know it's it, it doesn't necessarily happen um, as quickly. What does uh, what does a, a fully integrated um, Gale look like? What does that you've talked about disintegration? We've talked. You know, I've just heard you say inter- integrated to be wholly integrated. What does that look like? Because that might be mean certain things to, to different yeah. people. And what does that what does that mean to to you in, in your life and in this season of your life? That's a great question because it can be misunderstood. Like, um, I never want to give anybody the impression that um, the fully devoted life or the full wholeness life is a goal that we have to shoot for. Hmm. And we try really hard and we, we, we come up just short, hmm. right? Oh, I, don't, I wasn't fully devoted today because I didn't have my devotion. So it's not a target. We, we're never, we will never be completely whole this side of heaven, hmm, right? That's a good word. And so we, uh, to be integrated and whole means that you're on a journey, an ongoing journey of wholeness. Good. That, that every day I engage in rhythms that allow the space and the work of grace to take hold in my life. So whatever God is bringing, whatever healing he's doing, whatever blind spot, whatever that looks like, today I want to give space hmm. for, to partner with God in that. Yeah. And then tomorrow we work on something, you know, um, it's, but it's never an end goal. It's never a target because we never reach that. Yeah, it's good. 
That's good. And so if I can just, you know, live into rhythms that foster what, whatever God is doing. I don't get to choose those things. And I'm really glad I, it's not up to me to fix myself. You know? <laughs> me too. It's, it's never, me. never about us fixing ourselves, but it's partnering with God in this work that he's doing in our lives. Yeah, that's good. And it's always ongoing. It's every day. Yeah, that, that's good. And um, well, yeah, I'm glad, like you said, I'm glad it's not um, dependent on me. I think, you know, as a, as a leader, for me, the struggle is, is I like to check things off a list. And, um, you know, and so this, that process that you're describing, you know, that's a journey, a lifelong journey, and uh, you can't check it off. And, uh, and so I think that's a, that's some of my struggle um, as we walk into that and I walk into that. So um, really appreciate your wisdom and insight and um, it's challenging me today. And uh, to think about that, a little, uh, think about it a little bit differently, and um, and how I can apply it into my life. When I listen to a podcast, I always want to think of the things that I can apply. And you've given us some great principles that we can apply and examine, and where we're at, and how that looks like, um, yeah, in our personal lives. What's something that um, you know we talked about your, your a, a challenge you went through with burnout and and that. What is something in, in, in today that you're excited about and you're looking forward to the future? Um, yeah, just something you're excited about. Yeah. Well, this is my passion. And so what I'm excited about is always about this. Yeah. Right. Good it just, this, is what, this is what God has. And this is where my journey has led. You know, when I finally said yes to God, to this great work in my soul, that just, it led to this. Hmm. Um, and so um, for all of us, and I'll, I'll come back to specifically to your question in just a second. I think so much um, is just saying yes to what God is doing right now. And so what you get really excited about is, God, what are you doing? Yeah. And I want to be part of that. That's good. And, and I say yes to that. Yeah, that's good. Right? And so instead of me always trying to figure out, you know, where this goes, you know, what happens because... You know, if we know where, knew where all this goes, number one, we wouldn't need God. You it's know, he just, he just becomes a tool for us to use to get where we want to go. That's, that's true. That's right? True. And so my goal is to just say yes. I, I made that commitment years ago. It's like, God, whatever you're doing, no matter how outrageous it may seem or uncomfortable, it's like, I want to say yes to that. Because I know that you're the one leading this, that this is your good work. And yeah. um, so that's, so I, that would be is what I'm looking forward to is yet. How can I continue to say yes to God? Um, but I've been working with leaders for quite a few years in, in this area of soul care and to see that continue to see God, maybe expand that yeah. because you know, if you, if you can influence leaders, you influence thousands of others. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. For sure. And so, so my, what God has led me to is influencing leaders in this. Oh, are you still there? Yeah, we're still, yeah, I'm good. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I'm so sorry. No worries. Um, so um, what I'm, probably what's on my plate right now is that I'm writing a book about all of this. Okay, good and deal. So out of my years of experience, and you brought, I loved your questions that you brought up, Aaron about, well, as a leader, I think about this and I'm on, you know, yeah. it's like, those are all the things I want to address because those things are what all the leaders are thinking and saying. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to me going, well, I don't want to sit for hours in a 
brown chair. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to address those things and hopefully um, awareness is just so much a part of it. If I could just, you know, make, help make leaders aware that you have a soul and it connects with God and, and all the things that I shared. And I hope that they could pass those healthy things, those integrated things onto those they serve. Yeah. Because you're right, they're gonna leaders are gonna empty the whatever's inside of them, and so if they're if they're pouring out the an integrated and those that versus the opposite, um, for sure they're impacting and impacting others. Um, the process is the book. Are you writing the book now? I am. I'm on my very last chapter. So oh wow! I, my husband's going woo. That's right. I'm sure he is. Yay! Congratulations. I am. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, maybe once it, once, when you're getting ready to, to launch it and put it out, we can come back on the podcast and we can delve, we can, we can delve into it a little further if uh, you'd be open to that, that idea. Absolutely. Dale, I appreciate so much your time today, your wisdom, your insight, your story, and your transparency and um, your willingness to share and encourage um, the listeners. Would you go ahead and pray? Um, It'd be an honor if you would pray for the audience and um, pray for those who are listening in um, in every, whatever way the Holy Spirit guides you and directs you in that prayer. Thank you. I would love to. So Jesus, um, we're, I'm just so aware that you are all about doing a great work of grace and all who are listening to this. I pray that they will become aware of your movement and activity in their lives, the things that you are inviting them into. I pray that um, you will allow them to see those things and perhaps it will take a place of quiet with you. But I know that you lead us into wholeness. You lead us into life-giving places with you. And I pray, Lord, that they will begin to recognize that. I I don't want them to miss a thing of, of this this. Um, calling on our lives, this great work of grace, and participating with you in the kingdom, because that's what um, you you lead us into. Part of our our formation is very much a part of your kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, for them, that um, their souls would have a place to speak, that they would hear your voice, learn to hear your voice. They would say yes to your invitations. And Father, that they will just um, all of this leads to courage, this ability to say yes. May they find courage in saying yes to do and stepping into the invitations that you, you offer them. So I pray your blessing over them. Holy Spirit, guide them. I pray and we ask all of this in the name of